0: Father, we thank You for Your kindness to us this morning. Lord, we thank You for all that we have been given. We thank You for the the holy manna, the body of Christ, the bread of life who has been given down from heaven for us. Father, we, we believe the words that we sang, that all is vain unless Your Spirit comes down. Lord, as we open Your Word today, may Your Spirit uh, work in the hearts and minds of Your people, convicting us of sin and drawing us near to the cross of Christ. And Father, help me as I would preach. I do believe in Your Holy Spirit, Lord. Guide my words, guide our time as we open Your Word Lord, we thank You for Your faithfulness, and we thank You that You will bring forth much fruit as we faithfully open and proclaim Your truth. It's in Christ's name that we pray, Amen. Good morning, everyone. We're going to open to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter ten, and we've been going through the Gospel of Luke for uh, some time, and have come to a, a couple of waves of outbound ministry. Uh, Christ has sent in the beginning of chapter nine; has sent the apostles out, uh, the twelve, and they they carried out the message of the gospel, and uh, we've watched them as they returned, as Christ has done. Uh, many miracles. We've seen the the response of the apostles, that they continue to to have much to learn, much to learn about Christ's tasks and Christ's mission and the kingdom that he would establish on the earth. And as we come to chapter 10, we're looking at the second wave of outbound uh, ministry, where Christ sends out these 70 messengers, these 70 followers to go out to uh the villages and the the towns that he himself would um would be going to shortly we looked at his command to pray and to ask that god would raise up laborers that he would raise up uh people to go out into the harvest and proclaim the message of the kingdom of god uh, and as they would go they were to make haste, they were to be on task, on point, on mission, uh, not worrying about what they would need, not worrying about uh, extra clothing or extra provision, uh, but to earnestly and to uh, hurriedly take this message to the surrounding community. And so we we pick up here in verse 5, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So these seventy are receiving instructions from Christ. They are uh, being equipped to go out and to do this work, and Jesus is giving them instruction. And his instruction here is that when they when they come to a town, that they would um, greet the house and and say peace be to this house. They would approach a uh, a person or a home in a community and. And give the greeting of peace to this house. Uh, if a son of peace is there, uh, this peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So the the 70 are going out and they are going to enter a town and they are going to preach the message of the kingdom of God. They are going to give uh, Christ's commands, the, the call to repentance, the call to faith, the call to turn from uh, one's ways to Christ and as they're going, they're going to need places to stay. They're going to need to be provided for. And Jesus says, you don't You don't need to go, uh, you know, bring a bunch of money with you. You don't need to, to go and make hotel reservations, right? He wants them to come, come to a house, greet the house and say, peace be to this house. Uh, now, this would have been a common Eastern greeting, um, peace be to this house. But I think, and I want to establish here that the peace that Luke is referring to uh, has little or less to do with a a warm greeting, and much more to do with this message, uh, this gospel of peace that these messengers were to be about, that they were to be proclaiming. Um, irene is the Greek word here, and and it is means peace, and it can mean peace between nations, being an exemption or a a removal of war uh, can mean harmony. Um, when speaking of a Christian, it is that tranquil state of the soul that is assured of its salvation in Christ, that fears nothing from God and is content uh, with whatever lot it would have in life. Uh, so this this word peace can mean different things depending upon the context. It can mean a, a harmony or a, uh, a tranquil state. Now as Luke has used this term in his gospel uh there's five places that we see it uh, prior to the one where we see here and it's going to come up several times again. Let's just look at the context at Luke's use of the word up until this point. So the first mention was in uh, Zechariah's prophecy about John. So Zechariah's prophesying about uh, John the Baptist at his birth. Um, he was to John was to give the knowledge of salvation to the people, a knowledge of forgiveness of their sins. Uh, John says this this way of peace would enable one to serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. So the salvation of God is going to prepare a people to dwell with God in service and worship to Him. And, and Zechariah understood this and as he was prophesying, he says uh, that John was to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, this way of peace is not not a uh, global ceasing of war. This way of peace uh, is the forgiveness of sins through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what John was tasked with preaching, the kingdom of God that was to, to be coming behind him. He was to uh, hearken that message in. The second time that we see this in Luke's gospel, this concept of peace, is at the announcement of Jesus' birth by the angels. And the angels declared, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The coming of Jesus Christ would make peace, would make a way of peace between God and men. Uh, True peace is that which comes between God and Jesus people now imagine if you will um a king okay we we live in a democracy here where the people rule right and that's maybe it hasn't gone out so well up until uh this point lately but right that's the the idea is that uh the government is ruled by the people many of us are not familiar with a kingship right we aren't familiar with a sovereign uh, ruler who has authority over all. all right? But this concept of king and kingdom is going to come up much in our time today. So imagine a king that sends out some of his people to a new land in order to grow his kingdom, in order to further his kingdom. And the people, they find the land that is is—it's uh, good, it's abundant, it's, it's rich in, in natural resources. It's, it's a good land has many wonderful resources. Now, as they're in this land, they find that there is an enemy of the king there. And the enemy of the king actually convinces these people to come and join him, an ally on their side, and not to listen to the commands of that king. In fact, they can use these resources for their own benefit. They can make them their own. Instead of ruling on behalf of the king, they chose to throw off the king's name, they desired to make their own name great. Now, what will the king do with these people? They have gone into the ranks of his enemy. They have taken up arms against him. He will have no choice but to exile them from his kingdom and set up his army against them in defense of these rebellious and wicked people. Now, this, this illustration, right, is very similar to, to where we find ourselves in this world. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, they lived perfectly at peace with God. They were tasked with ruling and bearing God's image and extending this to the ends of the earth. And they rebelled. They chose to side with God's enemy, Satan, and they were cut off from his presence. Human beings' status uh, went from God's image-bearer and ruler to rebels at war with God who deserve His wrath and punishment. Uh, they desired to make their name great on earth. In this wickedness, this sin abounded more and more. And because of sin, God and man have been at war. And God's people understand that God's wrath and anger against sin must be satisfied and can only be satisfied by a sacrifice. Uh if you don't understand this right you you are the one who has caused enmity between god your creator it's not just adam's fault you have chosen to sin against god you have chosen to break his laws as soon as you were able to live out your selfishness or your lying or your pride or uh your lust you chose sin Rather than obedience to God, and this is true of every single person who has ever walked this earth minus one. And we are all in a place of enmity, of war against God. And this this place of sin has has caused uh, a massive rubble in the world around us because no longer do we want to obey God's law to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we want to. Make our name great. And this has caused wars and murders and fights and all of this arising from the evil, wicked heart of man. But our number one problem is that God is against us. God deserves to punish each and every one of us because of our sin against Him. And if you have not realized that and recognized that, you do not know the greatest problem of your existence. That God's wrath remains upon you unless and until you see who Jesus Christ is and believe upon him. You have a problem. And and the people of God and the men of God have understood this for a long, long time. In fact, from the very beginning, they saw that it cost something a life. That the penalty of sin is death. And this death God has graciously and mercifully not given you. Because you're sitting here and you can hear my voice. You're not dead. God has been merciful and patient. And he has extended an offer of mercy, an offer of peace through his son Jesus Christ. Simeon, men like Simeon, they understood that a promised Messiah would bring salvation to the entire world. When Simeon got to see uh, Christ in his infancy, he declared in Luke 2, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Uh, Luke uses the word peace to denote that peace which comes from God and is offered to men. Uh, The two other places that we see peace used in Luke's gospel describe women. Women that Jesus had healed after commending their saving faith. He proclaimed peace to them that was a peace that comes from uh, the heart that has its faith in Christ. The woman, the first woman we see in Luke 7, she was uh, the woman who washed Jesus' feet. Uh, she knew that she was a sinner and she knew that Christ was the only one uh, who could save her. And Jesus declared to her that her sins were forgiven. And when He said to the woman after declaring that her sins were forgiven, he, d- he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, the second time we see this is when Jesus is walking through a, a crowd and a woman who had a flow of blood touches his garment, uh, believing that he is able to make her well, to make her whole. She had faith in Jesus' ability uh, to to save, and Jesus said to her in Luke 8, 48, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. E- each time here, the, the peace that Luke mentions is the peace which comes from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this was the same peace that these 70 were to go out and to declare. Uh, they were to go out looking for any sons of peace that would receive them and take them into their homes and care for them as they went out and proclaimed this message of peace to the surrounding community. Uh, But there would be those who would be opposed to it. And this is not, you know, left out in the text. We're not necessarily going to get to that part of it. But there would be people who would not receive them, who would not welcome them in, and who did not agree or want to receive the message of peace that they were proclaiming. Remember, they were going out into the community. They would be healing and performing miracles. They would be proclaiming the kingdom of God. And they would then approach or need a place to stay and approach, approach that house. And the peace with which they uh, were preaching about would have been well known to whoever the, uh, the owner or the man was that was running that household. And there would be some who would not who would not provide for them and who would not care for them. <clears throat> if they were rejected, it was not that they had uh, lost their peace. Uh, and I think I think this is I don't know a, a comforting aside here just to note if a son of peace is there your peace will rest upon him, but if not it will return to you. If you are rejected because of Christ and his message, if you are rejected by men, don't be afraid. The the peace that you have is not going to depart from you. Uh, Just because there is animosity or rejection with someone else does not mean that you have failed in this message of the gospel of peace. No, let, let that message return to you and then carry it on. And then herald it to the next house and to the next door, the next town. The peace that they carried with them was not a peace between them and the townspeople, but a peace that Christ had given them. And we see that John tells us more about this peace that Jesus gives. In John chapter fourteen twenty-seven. Jesus said, "'Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid.'" Jesus' peace that he had given to his followers was not a worldly peace. This was a heavenly peace. Uh, His state of perfect unity, of perfect tranquility and harmony with God, his Father, was being extended to anyone who would receive it. Jesus said in chapter 16 of John's Gospel, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That that is such a comfort to us to understand that the peace of God that comes through Jesus Christ, the peace that Jesus Christ has with God that He extends and shares with us, it cannot be taken away from you. It does not matter how many times the world may reject you or how much tribulation you may face in the world. This peace will go with you wherever you are. It cannot be Stolen, And there is only peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is the message of the gospel. Though Satan accuse you, though the world reject you, though you lose all you have, though you be martyred for Christ's sake, you cannot lose this peace. Because this peace is not yours to begin with. This is Christ's peace that he has given and extended to you. And this is the message. Uh, this is the message that the apostles would go on to take uh, to the world after Jesus ascended. So Luke goes on in, in the book of Acts, Acts ten thirty six. He says, "As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The good news of peace was through and in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul in Romans tells us that." Faith in Jesus Christ makes us righteous and holy in God's sight. It grants us peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he explains the significance of the peace that Christ brings, the peace that Jesus himself is. Uh, Remember, there was Hostility. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ is our peace. Christ is the only way that we uh, no longer have hostility with God. And it, it bears... Asking the question, do you know the peace of God that comes through Christ? Have you come to see your sins forgiven because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross? Do you have the peace of God? Do you know that uh, you are a son of peace? A son of the Prince of Peace who has granted you this peace? If not, what should you do? Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. There's no amount of money you can give, there's no amount of obedience you can do, or works you can produce. It is simply yours to believe and trust that Jesus Christ is the only way of peace between God and men. And this is the message that these 70 were, were going out and heralding. The kingdom of God had come near, Christ was approaching, His kingdom was at hand. And you must be reconciled to God through him. Now, Jesus is instructing these 70 uh, to to not worry about their own needs. Uh, They don't need to concern themselves with what they're going to eat. Uh, They only need to concern themselves with their mission that Christ had sent them on to declare this peace, to declare his kingdom to those around them. Uh, Matthew Poole, in describing an application of this text uh, toward those who would be in gospel ministry, he writes, It is the will of Christ that his ministers should not be too solicitous for a livelihood. As the laborer is worthy of his hire, so he that sends them into his harvest will see they shall be fed. Let them look to their calling and to the fulfilling of their ministry. God will see they shall be fed. I think this is very applicable for us, uh, especially those of us who, by the call of God or the grace of God or the call of church, would enter into full-time gospel ministry. Your task that Christ has given to you, to me, to whomever it may be, is to proclaim the kingdom of God and the peace of God that comes through Christ. It is by that proclamation that God promises He will provide for you. You don't have to go out soliciting provision and care. You don't have to go out looking for people to support and come alongside you. No, you have to go out and proclaim Christ. And those who are His people, those who are sons of peace, of this message of hope, they will receive you. They will welcome you and and they will open their home to you and care for you. That's what Christ is, is teaching them here. How is it that God will provide for His ministers? How is it that they shall be fed? Well, they're going to be provided and cared for by God's people. And and note just the, the procession here, right? How is it that the kingdom of God and the message of Christ is going to be spread throughout all the world? By people, faithfully obeying and listening to Christ's command and going and heralding the message. And how is it that they're going to be provided for? By people who are going to be faithful to share the good things that they have been given with those around them. God uses people. God uses people like you and like me. Sinners who have been saved by the grace of God. He uses them for the furtherance of His kingdom and for the care of His ministers, of His preachers. May it not be... Our disobedience that ceases the work of the kingdom to go forth. May it not be because we were unfaithful to go, or we were unfaithful to share. These ministers are to go without concern for their well-being, but concern for the people who need peace. And in turn, the recipients of the good news of peace are to care for the ministers of the gospel by sharing what they have at no cost. Uh, Jesus taught that the 70 should not be ashamed of the provision and the care that God's people would would give to them. They shouldn't be ashamed of eating off of uh, the Joneses when they show up into the local community. Probably wasn't a last name back in that time, but we'll go with it. He taught, Christ taught the laborer deserves his wages. In fact, We can say that they have a divinely given right by Christ Himself to take and use for themselves the things that are provided by others. They have a divinely given right. The laborer deserves his wages. Those who make it their main task in life to preach and proclaim the gospel should not be ashamed of this. Uh, They also should not aspire to more than what is necessary. And we see that right here in the text as well. When you have a house that is providing for you, you don't need to go on to the next one. You don't need to be seeking the most comfortable stay in town. Uh, If you have food and clothing and a bed, be content. They don't need to go on to the next house or the next church, for that matter, in order to uh, to feed themselves with finer meals or better accommodations. A pool again here writes, Christ's ministers ought not to make their bellies their gods. Eat such things as are set before you. End quote. It is a Christian minister's duty to eat the food that is set before you. Now, for any of you who have traveled outside the country on any kind of gospel work, this can sometimes be a pretty challenging task. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, uh, the point is not lost. And the point is not applicable and actually useful for many of us. Your belly is not your God. Your comfort, your desire for luxury, your desire for the food that you like, is not the abiding principle that should guide where you go and how you spend your time and what you do and what you eat. It is the work of ministry. It is the care of God's people. It is the fellowship of God's people. Uh, Eat what is in front of you. Be thankful that God has provided for you. Now, Christ is also clearly teaching that he expects his church to care for its preachers and its missionaries. Do not deprive the labor of his wages. Uh, This point is made clearly here by Christ. And I want to look at some of Paul's writings that make this point even, uh, even clearer. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17-19, through 19, we read this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So this, this law from uh, the Old Testament, don't muzzle the ox where it treads out the grain, Uh This command of Christ, the laborer deserves his wages. Get get the picture here, right? The ox that treads out the grain, he's tied up to a a large stone. So they would take a a big ox, they would harness him to a a pole that would run a, a large millstone over the grain and pummel it and crush it into powder, into flour, or into meal that they could then use to cook with. And as the ox would be doing that, well, he happens to also eat the food that, uh, that he's crushing, right? And the law was don't put a muzzle over the ox. He's working to crush the grain. Go ahead and let him eat some of the grain as he would go, uh, as he would crush. And, and that was the illustration, right? The, um, the instruction that Paul is referencing here. The elders who were, rule well should be worthy, can, considered worthy of double honor. Now, the word for honor here, is many times literally translated as monetary value or price. Uh, Figuratively, it would express honor or reverence, but it's a word that is a monetary word. Uh, And I don't think Paul's at a loss uh, for helping us to understand that pastors, elders who rule well are worthy of a a double portion, if you will, uh, of honor, of respect, but also of provision and care. Uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of there. If, In fact, if if we hesitate to care and provide and wonder, ah, should we be giving him that? You know, that's kind of too much. Probably shouldn't get that much. Who ought to be able to be entrusted with an abundance of riches? If, if they cannot be, then they are not pastors. They are not elders. Uh, if we have... A hesitation that says, ah, we probably shouldn't be, you know, they kind of need to be at the lowest rung of the ladder. Uh, I think that goes against what Paul is teaching here. He's saying, look, elders who rule well should be worthy of double honor. And even beyond that, especially those that labor in preaching and teaching. Uh, They deserve to be cared and provided for. And God's people, we should be about that mission. He later on in First Timothy chapter 6 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." Those of us who have been given much, it has come from Christ, and He expects us to be generous and ready to share. Generous and ready to share with those who would take the gospel forward, with the people of God who need to be cared for. We should desire to see gospel ministered, uh, gospel ministers well taken care of, uh, well paid. We should desire that. We should make that available. Uh, We should be faithful to give towards that end. Uh, We should not prefer to care for our employees who labor for our earthly success more than we strive to care for our pastors who labor in keeping watch over our soul's success. Uh, If we do not care for God's ministers monetarily, it would be equal to, to not receiving them, uh, and I think we—I I don't want to lose that point because we're not going to go on to the consequence of not receiving these ministers. But if we refuse to care for the preacher of the word, the the missionary who brings the gospel, it is that you have not received them. Uh, if you will not care for them, and that has a great consequence, as we'll look at next week. Brothers and sisters, as a church, as this congregation, let us make the care of God's people and the furtherance of His kingdom and His gospel the number one priority of our resources. Give this the first place in your thoughts. Give this the first place in your time, in your prayers, and in your financial endeavors and resources. This should be the way that we think. That God's kingdom and the seeking of God's kingdom would come first in everything that we have been given, in everything that we have received. Uh, this is what it looks like to have our minds oriented onto eternal matters. Right? We, we have much that needs to be fa- paid for and that has been provided for, but let us not think that this is the last place that we stop when it comes to Uh, how we use the resources that God has given us. Let us think of this in the first place. Now, Paul is going to make this point that gospel um, laborers should be provided for uh, by God's people abundantly clear. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 1 through 14. Paul says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? to refrain from working for a living. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ." Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Hear what God is saying to us. It couldn't be much more clear. We should not be ashamed of this fact. Not as a church, not as a a community of believers, not as a, a pastor who may happen to receive that, uh, but we should labor to make sure that the ministers of the gospel are well paid for and well cared for by the gospel. Galatians six six, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Hebrews thirteen sixteen, do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This should be our heart as a uh, as those who commonly and regularly receive from our pastor, right? I happen to get to man the pulpit every four to six times a year. And when I do, I'm thankful for it. Uh, but while this is not my main support and my main uh, area of ministry, we do have a pastor who labors diligently to care for our souls. And we should... Be thankful that this happens in this place, that we're able by God's grace to provide for our pastor and faithful to do that uh, and that he is faithful to preach and proclaim the word of God to us. It's a a wonderful thing. It's a God-ordained thing and we can rejoice in and be thankful for it. Verse 9 here, chapter 10. Heal the sick in it, And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, we're going to end here um, looking a little bit more at the kingdom of God. Uh, The kingdom of God is going to be a huge theme as we continue through Luke's gospel. Uh, It's a huge theme in God's word. Uh, Now, if we want to ask the ultimate question, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, and then therefore we want to be able to answer, well, who is a part of it, and how do you enter it, and where is it, and how do we expand it. Uh, we're going to learn this as we go through the rest of Luke's gospel and the rest of biblical revelation. Uh, but sometimes when you encounter a question in a book, you just need to jump to the end and get the answer key uh, in order to figure it out and not spend a whole lot of, you know, undue time. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to jump to the end real quick, and we're going to we're going to grab the answers here and and pull them back in for this question of what is the kingdom of God. Uh, So if you don't know where the back of your book is and the answer key, it's uh, the book of Revelation, be chapter one, which maybe brings more questions than answers, but nonetheless, we will go there. Revelation one. What is this kingdom of God? Uh, End of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who is it that uh, has freed us from our sins by his blood? Christ. And what has he made us? He's made us a kingdom. He's made us priests to His God and Father. Again in uh, chapter 5. Jump to chapter 5, verse 9. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I'll jump again to the, the very end here, chapter 21. Second to last chapter here of the Bible, chapter 21, uh, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So real quickly, the kingdom of God is a people that have been made fit to dwell with God for all eternity through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, now we're not going to take a ton of time to establish that. Uh, we could probably spend hours and sermons and months uh, looking into this topic. But anyone who receives the gospel of peace uh, with God through Christ is a part of this kingdom. Uh, that's that's who is in this kingdom of God. You can only enter this kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. It is located with God in his dwelling place, and it will be eternally established in a new creation, on a new earth. And it is expanded as people are brought into peace with God through the gospel. The gospel brings the kingdom of heaven to earth. The kingdom of heaven is not about God's law being established as the rule of the day. The kingdom is about people. It's about a people who can dwell with God in peace and fellowship. This kingdom of heaven, it transcends everything. Meaning it surpasses. It, it goes beyond. Uh, it transcends time. It's not just a kingdom that was in the Old Testament or has now been established in the New Testament. It's not just a kingdom that that will be tomorrow or in the next generation or in eternity. It, It surpasses above all of that to encompass all of God's faithful people who have trusted and believed in His promises and looked toward the hope of His Christ. That is who is in this kingdom. Does not matter when or where you were born, if you understood God's promise and you believed and trusted in that, you are a part of this kingdom. It transcends, it goes beyond uh, nations and nationalities. It does not matter what country you came from. does not matter what what race, uh, so-called, you have arisen from. You don't have to be a Jew in order to be a part of this kingdom. You don't have to not be a Jew in order to be a part of this kingdom. Uh, It goes above and beyond every nationality and draws into its ranks all of God's people. It transcends languages. Every tribe and language and people and nation. It rises above the chaos of Babel where where all confusion and inability for humanity to communicate uh, came. And it brings all of it together, every language at Mount Zion, in complete, organized, unanimous praise to God. As if we would hearken back to the day of Pentecost, and, and every one of us say, how is it that he is proclaiming in his language, in his language, and I understand what he is saying? And the consequence of man's sin at Babel to make his name great and the confusion that came has now been brought into a redeemed people from every language that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Transcends all of it. This kingdom, in fact, transcends the created world. It goes beyond the very earth that you're standing on. It's not about this planet It goes beyond the created sun and the moon and the stars. There will be none of those things when this kingdom is finally and eternally established. Uh, The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. A new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. What did Jesus say when He ascended? Where do I go? To pre- Prepare a place for you. Well, why is Christ not here? I thought this was the place. I thought this is where we're supposed to be reigning and ruling. It transcends sickness and death. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now we have we have often looked at the healing ministry of Christ uh, and we have looked at the way that Jesus sent out his apostles uh, with a supernatural power to heal. And it is accurate that this confirmed and validated the message of the gospel that they preached. But not only that, it also points to this eternal reality of God's kingdom where every human being shall be made perfectly whole whole in spirit and whole in body, whole in health. Uh, It it points, it hearkens to that reality. This is a marker of the kingdom of God, that there is perfect health in this kingdom. Uh, All will be made complete. There will be no deformities in the kingdom of God. This is an eternal reality. Uh, Christ, the king of this promised kingdom, has come. See the sign that is pointing to a kingdom that has come, and in other ways has not yet arrived. And this is where we kind of find ourselves presently. So are you telling me that the kingdom of God has not yet arrived? Is that what you're telling me? Because the guy here, he says uh, the kingdom of God's at hand, and he's like, it's right here, like it's, it's very near. And where is the kingdom of God now just some some place up there that Jesus is getting ready to prepare is that is that what we're waiting for well yes but the kingdom of God is also here now and as we're going to look at without preaching I think it's Luke 17 but it is present among us how can that be how is that 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, the you here would be more properly translated y'all. We don't have a southerner's version of the Bible with us here today. But do you all not know that y'all are God's temple? You see, God has placed an indwelling Holy Spirit into each and every one of his people. And the presence of God, in fact, as we see in the New Testament, is manifested as that community of believers draws together in the body of Christ, which is his church. This is where the kingdom of God dwells now, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in each and every believer by the Holy Spirit. The church is His temple. And that harkens us back to so many other things, which is why we aren't going to be able to go through this exhaustively. Um, God has always had a dwelling place with man. The kingdom of heaven comes to earth wherever God dwells with man. First, it was in the garden. Then it was in God's chosen people, Israel, by God the tabernacle and by the temple and now it is with the church of jesus christ and this is the language that that paul uses to have us understand where his kingdom is now where his dwelling place on earth with men is now it is in his bride the church first peter 2 verse 9 and 11 Uh, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession And we are to multiply this kingdom until every child of God is brought out of darkness and into light. Brought into this holy nation, this royal priesthood. We are to expand Jesus' rule and reign over the hearts of men through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been called out by God as a people for His own possession. As a kingdom of priests to serve the triune God in holiness and and righteousness for all eternity. And God is seeking such to worship Him. You have to be cleansed because you're a sinner. But but that cleansing is not merely enough because that only makes you clean. And in order to dwell with God, you have to be holy and righteous as He is. So you need the, the perfect righteousness of Christ. You need His blood to cleanse you. You need His righteousness to make you just and holy in the sight of God and God is seeking such a people and it is found this people is created by the power of God through the gospel in the church that's why he says abstain from the passions of the flesh they wage war against your soul you have a flesh that does not want to admit the reality that this world is not your home Your flesh does not want to admit that. Your flesh wants this world to be your home. It wages war. It tries to get you attached to everything it possibly can. You have a flesh that does not want to believe that there is more to this existence, uh, to your existence, than this creation. They aim to destroy your peace. Hebrews tells us. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Brothers and sisters, our peace is with God, not with our sinful flesh. Our peace has been made through Christ, and we have been called to crucify our flesh with its passions and desires. We've been called to live for the kingdom of God now, to seek His kingdom on this earth. How? How do we do that? By calling people to be at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. By calling them to be united with Christ and to become a member of His body, the church. This is how we seek God's kingdom. This is how we seek to have His glory abound on this planet. By furthering the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, I want to I want to turn, if you would, turn with me to Second Peter. I know I don't have this in your notes, but I want to look at this passage uh, as we close. Second Peter, chapter three, starting in verse eight. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This is the focus of, of the Christian. Uh, this is the focus of the word of God. This is what God would have our focus to be. That as we have time here, on this earth that is passing away, that we would live lives of godliness and holiness, that seek the peace of God to abound among us and among this world. That seek the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward in making many sons of peace. A final thought. The kingdom of God is about people dwelling at peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ. We are to seek first this kingdom by spreading the gospel of peace to anyone who will receive it. God will provide for his people by his people. So let us be faithful to do good and share. God dwells within us now by his spirit, illumined by his word and manifested in his church. We will dwell with God and all his people in a kingdom and on an earth and in a city that is yet to come for all eternity. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Father, we thank you that Your kingdom has indeed come near to us through the Gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Though our eyes do not see Him or our ears hear His voice, uh, Lord, we we have Your Word in front of us. We have Your revelation uh, given to us that we may know You and that we may dwell with You in Your kingdom for all eternity. Help us to be Uh, Humble to hear your word, to seek to live lives of godliness and holiness, to provide and care for one another, and to go forth proclaiming and preaching the gospel of peace. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. We're going to sing, uh, Come, O Sinner, on your handout. Come, O